He told us how he had seen the angels standing in his house and said, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptizes with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is God's Word, and let's us pray. Father in heaven, we need your help to understand this passage. It was a long time ago. It deals with people a lot different than us. But would you open to us the truth that affects us as well? Would you give us the strength to be obedient to it? We thank you for those here today. For whatever reason, or those attending by way of live stream at home, Lord, would you make this something that reverberates in eternity? That this be time well spent, not just now, but forever. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us today, we, we in our teaching, study whole books of the Bible. There are 66 of them. And though we might not study the whole thing all at once in consecutive Sundays, here in a few weeks we're going to take a break from the book of Acts. And for the summer, study the book of Ecclesiastes. Then we'll go back to the book of Acts uh, sometime in the fall. It took us well over a year, actually two years plus, to finish the Gospel of John. It'll probably take us that long to get through the book of Acts. But the reason why we do that is to hear... The author of Scripture out, make his full argument, take our time trying to understand what it means as being really the only possibility of us ever being able to obey it, having first understood it. So the book of Acts really continues where the Gospels left off, and the Gospels continue where the Old Testament left off. The Old Testament tells us how we got here and how God chose one group of people, the Jews, to receive all his truth, and they would tell the rest of the world. Well, by the time you get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this foretold prophet who's going to take away the sins of the world, to put it in John's words, is introduced. And there we get the Christmas story when Jesus is born, and then by the time he is killed, buried, resurrected, we have our Easter story. But then, after that, he goes back to heaven. He's gone. He leaves 11 men, minus Judas, to tell the rest of the world what it is they saw him do and what they heard him say. So the book of Acts carries on from there. The word of God goes out to the nations, and as they hear the truth of the gospel, their hearts are changed. They become believers. As the gospel goes out, the church grows. God brings people in. That's where we are today, and just about every chapter you look at in Acts, you could summarize the very same way. So as careful Bible students, we made note last week of things to be careful with. 
uh, points of emphasis that, that Luke, who's writing this letter of Acts, is showing us. And we talked about how he, I mean, we read a whole chapter. It's very long. It's very detailed. So you say the, the length of it, the word count, and the, the details, very specific in what he's saying, means that he's slowing down to draw us in. There's a lot here. Well, we're going to add to that this morning, repetition as an important thing to pay attention to. Any of your teachers ever repeat any of your material in grade school? or You repeat, repeat, repeat. And hopefully, after, what, like 12 grades, some of it sticks. So what we just read in chapter 11 is basically what we read last week in chapter 10. It's the same story of Peter having a vision of this blanket coming down and in it were all sorts of things he was not supposed to eat, but he's told of the Lord to eat them. And he says, wait a minute, I know I'm not supposed to do that. And the point was, things have changed. And where this diet kept you separate from the rest of the world, now I'm including the whole world in on my grace. So I get to say what's clean. I get to say what's common. And you don't. Don't call common what I've called clean, was the meaning of the verse. Well, we pick up here in chapter 11, he's back in Jerusalem. And the news of that has gotten to Jerusalem ahead of Peter. And there seems to be a problem with what they're hearing. So a discussion needs to take place to clear it up. Um, We'll spend our time this morning looking at two components. That's an easy way to break apart this first paragraph. One is an objection. That's right there out of the gate. The objection is to Peter and what happened in Caesarea. They say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That was a big no-no as far as Judaism goes. And then by the time we get to the end of the passage, it's kind of like a sandwich. You've got the opening argument and the, the concluding resolution. That's the other thing we'll look at. And the story that's repetition from chapter 10 is, is the middle. So the resolution is, at the end, they say to themselves, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. At the end of this chapter, they see the same thing that Peter saw at the end of chapter 10. So let's look at them both in turn, and then we'll make an assessment as to what we're supposed to learn, and if there's any way we should act or obey as implications of what we learn. Look back at verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers... so. That's a reference to the disciples from the Gospels. There were 12. Judas betrayed Jesus, hung himself later. They replaced him with Matthias, the beginning of Acts. So it's those fellows, minus Peter, who's not there yet, and the brothers. So it's just a general term for other folks uh, who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles also received the Word of God. Gentiles are getting saved So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, all right, who's the circumcision party? It's not like, yay, let's have a party, we love circumcision. (laughs) Nobody likes circumcision, especially if you're an adult when it takes place. And this is big ramifications. I know it's not what you came to church to hear about. But down the road, they're going to have a whole Jerusalem council over, does a man come to Jesus to be a good Christian saved by Christ's righteousness 
Before he can be a good Christian, does he have to be a good Jew? And if he has to be a good Jew before he has to be a good Christian, then there has to be this thing called circumcision, which God gave to Abraham all the way through Moses. They're still doing this. With their babies, that's on the eighth day. But with the Gentiles, not necessarily. So it's a big deal on both sides of the relationship. Well, that is the way they're described, but it's probably one of those names that so many other groups get named for something they're known by, but that's not all of what is important to them. These were men who were sticklers on the Mosaic Law. That was important to them. So before we throw that aside, we need to know what's going on. That's the reason for this conversation. And they criticize him. Um, How these people understood what happened in Caesarea before Peter gets back to Jerusalem, we don't know. We're not told. Perhaps the six men went ahead of him and spoke freely. But in any case, the news had sufficient time to sour in the thinking of these folks known as the circumcision party. So they meet with Peter with an accusation. And notice that it's not for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles that they seem to be upset. It's for eating with the Gentiles. That's the reason why they're upset. We talked about this last week. There's no way for a kosher Jew to eat in the home of a Gentile and not wind up eating something that's not kosher or have it served on a plate that's not been washed correctly. And it goes on and on and on. So they avoided eating with them because it was almost an impossibility to remain ceremonially clean in doing so. That, not circumcision is the problem with this conversation. Not preaching to the gospel, but eating with Gentiles. So that's how they put it to him. That's what we heard. That's what you did. So we need to have a discussion. In chapter 10, Peter did not need to defend himself for preaching the gospel any more than Philip did for preaching to the Ethiopian. These are all Christians. They love the gospel. They want people to hear the gospel. But then they're shocked when certain people, unlike them, actually believe it, are actually saved, and actually demonstrate gifts of the Spirit as evidence that they have been truly born again. And that's what they're having to adjust to. For all the generations from Abraham to Jesus, they were told to stay away from the rest of the world. These are the things that make you separate. Don't have anything to do with them. And then all of a sudden, everything has changed. So as you can imagine, certain people have trouble with the process of change. And the first stage of it is, wait just a minute. Says who? Who died and put you in charge? Which committee gave you authority to do whatever you're doing? Y'all are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, good grief, if, if one of my sons goes to the other son and says, hey, we're supposed to do this or that, says who? Says dad. I don't know I'm supposed to know that dad told you that. You could be lying to me. Blah, blah, blah. You did this when you were kids, right? I remember one of the worst whippings my brother ever got was when I was delegated to tell him what he's supposed to do, and he said, yeah, right. 
And then I got a whipping later because I was maybe a little puffed up as being the one who was the delegation of dad's authority to go compel my younger brother to do what mercifully I wasn't asked to do myself. We both wound up doing it after it was all over. But you get the idea. Hard habits die hard. And that's what's going on. We're going to learn a lot from this too. Um, So it wasn't that Peter's in Caesarea. He gets carried away with the gospel. People get saved. They pull him in. What would you do that for? I just told him the gospel and they got saved. Whoops. Sorry. No, it's how dare you jettison the law of Moses. Circumcision, dietary rights, all these things. That's what we want to hear about. So, in the story that gets back to Jerusalem, the blanket part is probably what started the issue. Because hearing that they got saved is one thing, but what's this business about this blanket coming out of heaven in your dream full of all the things you're not supposed to eat and God telling you to eat them? You saying no, but then wind up saying yes. Not to eat, but that these people are worthy of the gospel. How he intended for them to be part of the church is wrapped up in the meaning of that dream. And that's what had obviously concerned them. And also, to be fair, this in in another way is understandable. Do you remember when we were a few chapters back and people in Samaria were saved and Peter and John were sent in order to lay hands on them and then they received the Holy Spirit. Do you remember how we talked about how no self-respecting Jew would believe any rumor that people in Samaria were saved? Christian Jews, that is. So they had to send the apostles out there to see with their own eyes. It's happening to them just like it happened to us at Pentecost. So if God did for them what He did for us, obviously God's in both works. Consider this the third, but it's tougher because it's not just Samaritans, which are half Jew and half Gentile. These are full Gentiles. Hopefully this will come together if at this point you're going, I don't even know what this is all about. Let me show you something here. They were concerned with the, about the Samaritans. Now they're concerned with the Gentiles. Peter's got some explaining to do. But if you look back in chapter 10... I want to show you a word. You won't see it in your English, but I'll tell you what it means in, in the original, which was written in Greek. And this, this was in, in the original story of what's taking place to Peter in real time. And Peter is told in verse 20 of chapter 10, Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. If you remember from last week, He's still trying to figure out this blanket dream and what it means. There's a knock at the door. It's the people that were sent to him from another person's dream. Two dreams going on, but they're supposed to meet. The words without hesitation. That's translated without hesitation in the ESV. But the original word is diakrino. It's a Greek word. The definition of that means to waver, to doubt, to separate from one another, to judge or distinguish. So basically you could say, rise, go down and accompany these Gentiles with no wavering, without any doubts, not separating one from another, without judging and without distinguishing. 
You just go. I set all this up. I know what I'm doing. Go with these Gentile men to their house where you're eventually going to eat. All right, if you look at chapter 11, should be on the other side of your page. In verse 12, this is Peter retelling the story as, as it happened. The Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. That's the same diacrino, same word, waver, doubt, separate. Now, I know in English that looks different. But as far as the Greek word we get the translation from, it's the same. And then if you go back up to verse 2, where, where Peter's starting out in his description in verse 11, or chapter 11 there. We, we read over both. 11-2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Same word all three times. So when Peter's told twice, don't waver, don't doubt, don't separate one from another, don't judge, don't distinguish... When Peter gets back to Jerusalem, there's a group waiting for him to do the very thing God told Peter not to do. They want to waver. They want to doubt it. They want to separate from these folks. They want to judge it and they want to distinguish right from wrong. Who's doing what? What are we supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? So, no pass was given. And here's what I think might be one of the most important pieces of information for the whole paragraph here. From the way these men are handling what they've heard, it's clear that these men, the circumcision party, are in the same place Peter was before the dream. Would Peter ever eat food with a Gentile before that dream? No, because when he had the dream, the Lord had to tell him three times to do it, and three times he said, no. I've never done that. I never will. Same with some of the prophets in the Old Testament. Now, through the dream and the other fellow's dream and following these people and then seeing the Holy Spirit fall on them the same way it fell on the Samaritans, the same way it fell on them in Jerusalem, Peter looks at it and says, this is all the same. God knows what he's doing. He has given them salvation. And at the end of the passage, that's when he says, so who was I to stand in the way of the Lord? So Peter had to go through the whole process for God to change his mind. These men, circumcision party, have not been through the whole process. So Peter's here to help them. And why, the way that he goes about helping them is to just tell them the story of what happened to him. Ever been in a situation like that where you used to think one way, but now you think differently. And there's this whole story where your mind was changed, but this person who's asking you about it hasn't lived through that and doesn't know that. So you help them by taking them through it. Kind of like, I know what you're thinking, but just try this on. If it doesn't fit, you can take it back. You might like it. Like when you're trying to get your kids to eat food other than nuggets. Or french fries. I know there's, there's some kids made out of nuggets and french fries these days. But if you do it the right way, you can open their eyes to all kinds of wonderful things that the Lord has made. I'm sure there were nuggets and french fries in that big blanket um, <laughs> that Peter wouldn't eat. And I did hear that the comment made on, you know, my loathsome rabbit trails in my brain that 
flicked me while I'm trying to get this done to uh, Smithfield's Barbecue. I think they owe me for yesterday's full of Wake Chapel people eating unkosher pig meat after what we studied in chapter 10. So go back there again today if it still sounds good and tell them that uh, Acts 10 and 11 sent you. Maybe they'll give you a discount. I don't know. But let's see. He told the story from his point of view, but in a way that communicated their shared perspective so that they could live through his experience and hopefully come to the same conclusion. For example, I'll show you two more verses. If you look in chapter 10, it should be over on the left side, chapter uh, 10, verse 12. This is what Luke tells us as he's recounting the dream or the vision of the blanket. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. That's three groups, right? Animals, reptiles, birds. I still don't like reptile. But then if you look in verse 6 of chapter 11, he's talking to the circumcision party, right? He's not talking to Gentiles. He's talking to Jews. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles and birds. He adds a group. There were beasts in there. As if to make it sound a little more taboo. I mean, these Gentiles are used to eating animals and reptiles and birds. Maybe even beasts of prey. I'm trying to think of what that would be. Those mangy looking dogs that look kind of like dingoes and things that run all around that they would use to call Gentiles worthless maybe that's in the blanket too and it's just as good as uh, your your kebabs they're having uh, beast burgers it's just as good all of that has to do with food but the point of it has to do with people you don't just look down on their food you look down on them As if they're outsiders. I died to bring them in. Is the lesson. So all they could see. How God had shown him. That he could not call anyone common or unclean. Like the food they weren't supposed to eat. These things Peter's telling them. Is to try to bring them to where he had come. This argument between these men is complicated. I just wrote that in there to say. Hey let's not with with jokes about barbecue push away millennia worth of, of, of an issue. We're not Jewish. It's hard for us to even start to understand what it would mean. I think we can get close with some of the things that are our problems, but let's not dismiss it out of hand. It's easy to look and think, this isn't a big deal. Who cares who he eats with? It was a big deal with them. I think this is enough to put it to bed, though. All of the law had its purpose. Ten Commandments still has its purpose. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't lie or steal. You should honor your parents. But all the business about how to wash your hands and what food is clean and unclean, there was a purpose for that, and the purpose had been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled all of that. But the law that is attached to his own character, that never goes away. God's never going to say in some 
place down the road. Oh, I don't mind if you make idols anymore. Because making idols is replacing Him. You can't replace Him because He's God. For Him to allow you to replace Him would mean that He's not as God as He's really God. But as far as how you wash your hands, if He was going to preserve one group of people through the ages to send His Son into the earth through, how does He keep them separate from the rest of the world so over generations they don't thin out and forget who He is? How many of you raise your hand if I said, do you have a specific way of doing Christmas that's different from your neighbor across the street? You'd probably all raise your hand. No, we don't do Christmas like people across the street. Well, what if your daughter marries the son of the people across the street? How are they going to do Christmas? Most of you are saying, wrong. (laughs) Right? And then we're going to have to share them every year. And maybe we'll pull them back over the right way to do Christmas. And then next year we'll have to give them a way to do a wrong way of Christmas. Well, if there's a right way to be the people of God, would it surprise us that He would give fallen human beings extra stuff that in the end won't matter, but is really good at keeping them separate from the rest of the world to preserve the truth long enough that in the process of time... Jesus comes and pays for all our sins. That's what's going on here. And that's what's been fulfilled. And that's what no longer is in play. But the Jews are going to have a hard time letting it go. So these apostles, these brothers, especially the Hellenists, the Greek Jews who were dispersed and had come back, held to the laws tightly as the only protection against assimilation into the Gentile world they lived in. That was what they thought they were supposed to do. And before the cross... Indeed, these laws were burdensome, yes, but tremendously effective in keeping a Jew a Jew. And now, all that is to change. And they're saying, on the testimony of one guy with a goofy dream, we want to hear about that. So they brought him in. He tells the story. They've heard about that. I thought, okay, got to make up a story of what this would be the equivalent of and how quickly you would call me into the office the deacons rest of the staff Mooneyham's lost his mind he went on vacation to the beach he's come back and says we don't have to have church anymore in fact read my bible had a dream while I was on the beach actually was in my kayak fishing and God says your fun is more important to me then learning my word. So on Sundays, I want you to do the most fun thing you can and be sincere and having fun or it won't count. If you're not having fun, you should go to church. But if you have something more fun than going to church, do it. Y'all throw me out, wouldn't you? I hope you would. Maybe, I don't know, not change the lock before I got there to see the note. Come see us. But this is basically a note. Peter, come see us. We need to talk about this. This sounds weird. So that's what they did. And in the end, we've already read it. Their wisdom, their patience, their graciousness was made known when Peter was finished. And they're holding their peace. The contention was over. All those words that God told Peter, don't do that. Now they're not doing that. 
their distinction, their contending rests. So here we have a resolution. And we can look back at verse 17 and 18 for what made the difference. If then, it's a great way to, to phrase that, if this over here, then this here. God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us. When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter's still speaking, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, that's those who left him the note, come see us, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God hath granted repentance that leads to life. That's important. We'll come back to it in just a second as we close. What did they get? They were granted repentance that leads to life. The point of the story is, oh, don't worry about the Gentiles. Let them just send their lives away. God's going to save everybody just for breathing. Now, God only saves those who repent and believe. You could preach grace all day long, but there's that repentance part. Without repentance, there's no grace. Right? You've got to teach the whole gospel. So we're not changing the terms of, of what's required for salvation. Jesus paid it all, but you grab it with repentance and faith. That's how it's yours. It, it, that's why we send missionaries to tell people the story. Cornelius isn't sitting there and gets a telegram or written on the clouds or his own dream. Hey, all that stuff I've given to the Jews for forever, you can go get you some too. It's just fine and dandy. No. He said, go find this dude who has a message. The message will save you. What was the message? The message is the gospel. Believes that this guy Jesus is who he said he was. He'll pay for all your sins. Repent of your sins. Call them what he calls them. And trust him by faith. And you can have it. So the terms of salvation that were for the Jew first are now offered to the Gentiles. And aren't we glad? That's what was said at the beginning of the book. Start in Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then we just read about the uttermost parts of the world, which includes Caesarea and Fuquay Varina. And we're thankful for it. We praise the Lord for it. So here's, here's a great place to, to make an assessment, having read that nothing could be said to counter Peter's argument. His case is closed. God made no difference between believing repentant Gentiles and believing repentant Jews. How could Peter or anyone else maintain a barrier that God did not recognize? To do so would be to oppose God. So for the circumcision party, their criticism ceased and their worship began. Isn't that a turn? And it says, they glorified God. They stopped their fighting and they started their worshiping. God knows what He's doing and we're glad He does. So the fundamental emphasis of the Cornelius story that starts in chapter 10 and it bleeds over into chapter 11 is that since God does not make distinction in His new society, that is, after He came and died for sins, we have no liberty to make distinctions either. If you're going to take anything home from what we read today, that's it. God offers salvation to anyone who repents and believes. And that's it. And to any of his children that preach the gospel, that has to be the same. We still have all kinds of problems. This passage can help fix those. 
The church and church history is full of stains, sins, regrets, errors. They still go on. We still struggle with the same ugly sin of discrimination. It has many forms. I have a list. There's racism. That's a prejudice having to do with color. God doesn't hold that distinction. Why do we? Good question. There's nationalism. That's the idea that it, this is my country. Right or wrong. That you'll let your country or your party pass with what's wrong. That's an ism. Say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is when you look at the other nation or the other party. And there's a duplicity there. There's a block. I would hate to think that any child of God would have a problem witnessing to someone from a different political party. But we might be surprised. Uh, Racism, nationalism, sexism. Usually in the form of discrimination, mistreatment, or abuse of women by men. I sometimes get a kick out of all the stuff that's being said of what men do to women in America. Do you read about what men did to women in the Bible? It was way worse. Until Jesus showed up. He went to the woman at the well. Bad story. Ends as a good story. And his men that followed him were what? Happy to see that conversation? They were shocked to see that conversation. These are these boundaries we've got to kick down, blow up, do whatever we need to do because God doesn't make these distinctions. Why do we? In Africa, there's tribalism. In India, there's casteism. I'm going to make this short. My favorite at the end. Worldwide, the world over. This catches all of it. Social and cultural snobbery. I haven't been around the whole world, but I find it interesting that you really don't have to be very wealthy or have very much in order to be very snobbish around somebody who has even incrementally less. It it, it scales up, it scales down. For some reason, we just think we're more important than anybody else for some dumb reason. To repent and believe gets you heaven, no matter who you are. And when we'll learn to get rid of all this stuff, when we'll take the dream for what it means and like Peter, say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to stand in your way. And it may mean that we have to go winsomely to other people and tell them what Peter told this group of men for them to be able to see. I should cover my mouth. I've been wrong. God doesn't show distinction. How can I? I might as well fight the Lord as to withhold the gospel. And the reason for this, the whole basis for why there is no distinction is because we're all sinners and none of us can save ourselves. The the, the problem Peter is seeing and this party is seeing and the rest of the New Testament as the gospel spreads are seeing is that we're going to need someone who will be holy for us. When we think that we can be holy on our own, then we've got that little perch from which to look down at others with. But if there's no perch, we're all equally as worthless, then God is ultimately gracious to all who are on the same playing field. Christ fulfilled the law and was holy for us. 
So the law is no longer needed. None of us can keep it anyway. Jesus is needed because he did keep it. So there's no more wall. The wall originally began with a flaming sword at the edge of the Garden of Eden. You sinned, you got to go. There's something between us now. And I'll have to work it out because you can't work it out from your end. We heard about the, the snake and bruising of uh, the heel and the crushing of the head. That's Jesus. He's going to take care of our sin debt. But in the process of time, the wall was never meant to be between Jew and Gentile. Or the have grace and the have not grace. The wall's always between God and man. Jesus broke down the wall between God and man on the cross. So there should be no wall between men as to who get it and who don't. Who's worthy and who's not. Who's clean and who's common. One wall comes down, the other has to come down too. The real dividing wall of hostility isn't between Jew and Gentile, but between holy God and sinful man. Regardless of which one you are, it's the same. We've all sinned. Jesus paid for it. The wall is broken. Let me show you one thing, and maybe this will help. Maybe it won't. But if it does for a few of you, it's worth the trouble. Turn to Mark 1. And this is a story of something that took place with Jesus when he had healed another individual. And the idea I want to speak to, wrap this up, is Okay, Jesus died, we get all this, tore down the wall between man and holy God. And I think on paper, theologically, most of us in this room know how it happened. It happened by way of the cross. But this is another way to look at it. And sometimes just one slight different way, angle to look at something makes all the difference. This is verse 40, right there at the end, almost to chapter 2. Jesus cleanses a leper is the title. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Uh, Lepers were considered unclean. Stay away from them. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. A lot of clean there, isn't it? And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. That's the old law. Jesus says it's still in force. It is. He hasn't paid for it on the cross yet. For proof to them, they're going to need to see certain things for them to say that you're clean, even though I just made you clean. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. Well, he was told to keep silent about it. And to spread the news so Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. He's in the desert hiding. And the people were coming to him from every quarter. All right. This is a day in the life of Jesus. And Mark gave it to us to tell us the story of how Jesus saves. But Mark, like Luke, like John, like Matthew, has purposes for saying things the way they say them to give us more colors to paint this picture with. It's interesting that this kind of turns on a, on a trade. You've got an unclean man comes to Jesus who's clean as he can be. And then you've got this guy who's an outcast, who's the unclean, and Jesus who can walk openly while he still enjoys some bit of anonymity. 
But once he heals him, the man goes from unclean to clean, but Jesus goes from freedom to banishment. These people are coming to him for the wrong reason. They're not looking for someone to take care of their sins. They're looking for healing or they're looking for food later in in John's gospel. So it's not the business for which he came. But the point is, there was a trade there. Jesus has this thing going on, but he fixes this for this other man and then his life is different. There's other places like this. Uh, We already mentioned the woman at the well. He has to take criticism from his disciples to do what he came here to do. One of my favorites is the woman who touched the hem of his garment. Do you remember that? And they're in a crowded area. And he says, who touched me? And his men say, good grief, how in the world would, would you know who touched you? It's like we're on the last day of the North Carolina State Fair right in front of all the food. You can't even turn around. They're pressing in. And what he says is, I felt the virtue go out of me. It's always puzzled me. I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in what the scholars say that means. Because it sounds like some goodness went out. How do, how do you drain the goodness of God? It, it would be like those loaves and fish that just are always there, right? He healed that woman. But in order to heal her, something had to go out of him. If something goes out of him, it only makes sense that he took something from her to himself, which he would carry to a cross and pay for. Now, all, all these are kind of mixing the physical world with the spiritual world. That's what Jesus took to the cross. Every last piece of our offense against his Father in the form of our sin. Not just our sins, individual, but our sin. Our uncleanness was taken on him. The one who was clean became unclean so that we who were unclean could become clean. This is what Peter is learning, what these men are learning, what Paul's going to be teaching It's going to be a long process for them to see it in its clarity. But this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. He was made to be sin who knew no sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. You could put it in other words, the same thing. The guy who didn't know anything about sin became your sin so that us who don't know anything about righteousness can be made righteous. So if you're among those Gentiles with some sort of a sin record, that's all of us, the most difficult thing in salvation, I believe, kind of described in this portion of one of uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, pulling the scales off when the boy had become the dragon, which is a picture of wickedness, right? Right? Before you can have this grace, be cleaned up, you've got to get naked. You've got to give Him your sin. You've got to repent of it. Repenting of it is saying that it's as ugly as He knows it's ugly. That's usually the hardest part. All of us want to keep our clothes on. I'm not that bad. I'm certainly better than that guy or that guy or that lady. Right? And the, the problem with the, the, the Jews were they were considered one step better dressed than the others that were badly dressed. 
And what they have to learn is we're all down there on the same level. We've all got to get naked. How does Hebrews 4.12 go? The word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between the joints and the marrow, soul and the spirit. The next verse, and all is laid open and bare and open before the eyes of whom we have to do. It's only this word, this message, that can lay you bare before the Lord. You'll be embarrassed to let Him see what you know is true. But then you know, this is what I wanted to see by showing you, just like He did with this leper, all that stuff He's going to see that you don't want, that you're embarrassed of in your naked state, He's going to take it Himself carry to that cross and die naked yes physically but his father's going to shut out the light and he's going to say why have you forsaken me because his father can't look on that ugly nakedness it's a result from the garden and he'll kill him for it so that if you repent he'll give you his boy's righteousness his son having paid for your sin. You can't make a better story. No other religion offers something like this. It's either absolute, total, crazy fiction, the likes of which the world has never seen, or it's the truth and it's life or death. You're smart people. You've got to decide. And I'm going to stick with Peter. I like him. I like him because he can be pig-headed, and I am, but I like him because he can learn. And knowing he's wrong to struggle with. I hope you find help in this as well. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for an, another time together in this room, together with brothers and sisters in Christ, with, with guests, perhaps here because of uh, faithful ministry of volunteers to. Try to help hide this word of yours in the hearts of little children. Lord, bless Awana. Lord, bless these children. May that word serve them well later down the tunnel of time when they need it later in life. But Lord, may your word serve us well today. Would you kick down and destroy walls we've set up? Make us think we're better than others or more deserving of your grace than any one else and then Lord may that platform of absolute rock bottom give us the position to be the better witness than we've ever been to tell others it's just repentance and faith Jesus takes care of the rest thank you for our time together Lord bless our day what we do with it Lord as we sing to conclude would you Fill our minds with the truth of what we're singing. Encourage our hearts for the week to come. We ask all this in your name. Amen.